Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Seb Emina, the editor of The Happy Reader. Launched five years ago as a sort of branded magazine for Penguin Books, The Happy Reader is published by Fantastic Man and each issue is split into two halves. There's an interview with a celebrity reader in the first part, then in the second part a series of articles inspired by the book of the season, which is a Penguin Classics title. It's a brilliantly simple structure that allows Seb and the rest of the team to play around and have fun. And as you'd expect from Fantastic Man, the whole thing carries an air of effortless cool that manages to be impressive and seductive, but also maintaining this lovely warmth and friendliness. As you'll hear, Seb is also a brilliant speaker. He's funny and eloquent and self-deprecating, and it was lovely talking to him. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with him speaking about The Happy Reader. Seb, thank you very much for coming over and talking. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. See, we've, we've just switched on to like, <laughs> there was a look in your eyes there when I was like, Seb, you're like, oh God, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's real now. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's, it's nice to be back um, at Somerset House. So you have got uh, the new issue of The Happy Reader just in front of us, uh, and it's coming out in just a few days. So maybe start by telling us a bit about this one. Who, who's in it? What's in it? Uh, so as ever, it's a, it's a it's a magazine of two halves. We've got a, a cover star who's a celebrity who's also a voracious reader, and we've got what we call the book of the season, which is a single classic title that we um, use as the basis for a lot of other kinds of feature. Um, so the cover star this time is very exciting. One of the most famous people we've ever had, I think. It's um, the American actor Owen Wilson, um, the very funny guy. Uh, and he kindly invited us to his home in Santa Monica, showed us around his bookshelves, um, gave us a fantastic photo shoot and a really good interview as well. And, and when you say us, is that you going out there and doing that? I'm talking in the magazine, <laughs> you know, like, like when they say the New York Times was told or, you know, she, she told the New Yorker. It's that kind of thing. No, I mean, I suppose, I suppose us, I mean, in this sense, the interviewer who's this fantastic um, Las Vegas-based writer called Amanda Fortini, uh, who writes a lot for people like Vanity Fair and, and New York Times and New Yorker. Um, and then also the um, photographer, uh, Milan Zunic, who I hope I said his name right there. Sorry, Milan, if I didn't. Um, uh, and, and, and his team as well. Um, so that's what I mean by us. It wasn't actually me, so I should have said them, but I sort of felt like I was there in spirit somehow. No, 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 that, that makes sense. And so, uh, so as you already said, it's, it's a magazine of two halves, so we've got Owen Wilson interviewed in the first part, and then the second part. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, this is the first uh, um, sort of classic, like in, a, in the classics sense, it's the first classic title, which is uh, Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Um, so Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome for a time, um, but also uh, a sort of stoic philosopher um, who wrote a private notebook called The Meditations, which was later kind of unearthed and held up as a classic title in the, in the stoic genre. Uh, and, and, and these days is one of the best-selling Penguin classics or, or any kind of classics books of all. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of... It's a strange latter-day bestseller by a former Roman emperor, um, who, who, and, and, and there's no book really quite like it. 
So are we going to discover then that Owen Wilson is a secret stoic? Is, is this how you combine these things together? Well, actually, we don't really ever combine them together. In a sense, it's just too complicated. Um, but also, I like there to be a bit of contrast. I feel like the experience of reading the magazine could feel a bit too singular if everything was about the same thing. Uh, we've had times where we photographed the cover star holding the book of the season to create a kind of little wink between the two sections, but they tend to be quite separate. Um, I mean, for me, I was interested in Marcus Aurelius and, and Meditations because it's almost one of the first self-improvement or self-help books. And, and that's kind of how it's seen now. You know, you have Marcus Aurelius desk calendars and there's a huge number of people in Silicon Valley or around the world who use Stoicism as their sort of informal secular religion somehow, a kind of um, a source of spirituality without needing to bother with all the God stuff. Um, it's almost parallel to practices like mindfulness, that kind of thing. Uh, so I was quite fascinated by that. And in the interview, they do touch on self-help a little bit, but only in the sense that Owen Wilson says um, it's probably the genre that he'd be most embarrassed about having on his bedside table <laughs> if he was inviting a strange woman over to his flat. His house, rather. Oh, his house, of course. Yeah, he doesn't live in a flat. Lots of flats. Sorry, Owen. <laughs> now, the... I imagine that organising some time with Owen Wilson mm. is a pretty difficult thing to do. And organising some people to write about Marcus Aurelius is a relatively easy thing to do. So you, it feels like you've got two contrasting sides to this magazine. What, what's the actual process of making this all happen? I mean, that is true. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean... But I'm both... I mean, with, with the interview, it's just one piece. So, so in a sense, it could be easy and it has been sometimes but it genuinely isn't because you're completely right like often you're trying to negotiate a serious amount of time with someone who hasn't got much time um you, you, know. you often do it over like several interviews as well like you'll go back to them yeah indeed i mean for 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 a general rule is we like to have a couple of conversations and at least one of the conversations should be two hours so mm. most mm. publicists who work with celebrities kind of spit their coffee out over the phone and say <laughs> what are you talking about um you know and and and, and, and you know we're, we're not the new yorker either so it's kind of incredibly generous of everybody who goes on the cover to say yeah I'm willing to do that I'm willing to um, give you that kind of access and then the photo shoot as well it's a serious photo shoot of a kind that I think no literary magazine does apart from us um, and, and that takes at least a couple of hours as well so yeah it was it was a, it was a tricky I mean actually no I mean Owen Wilson is a big reader and he, he said there's nothing he'd rather do than encourage this habit of reading good books and, and that kind of thing. So he was quite happy to do it. And I think it was a real um, scoop on our part because he hardly gives interviews, he hardly gives photo shoots, and certainly not at this length. So, so what's, your, what's your starting point? When you obviously at some point thought, I tell you who'd be great having this, Owen Wilson. So where, where do you begin from with that? I mean, with Owen Wilson, I knew he was a reader because a lot of people are like, really, he's a big reader? And I, I, I knew that because, I mean, I, I'm actually, I, I live in Paris for various reasons. And um, I'm quite friendly with um, one of the best bookshops in the world, which is in Paris. It's called Shakespeare and Company. Um, and they sometimes tell me who their celebrity regulars are. <laughs> so Owen Wilson kind of lives between Santa Monica and Maui and Paris a little bit as well. And I'd heard rumours that he likes to go into the shop and he buys right. books in there. So I thought, well, he's a great one. And I, I've actually... I've, I've, I've made the request a couple of times in the past, but um, he, he's never quite had the time. Um, and, and so 
sometimes it's like that. You have a kind of warm conversation that maybe has been going on, you know, on and off for two years, three years, something like that. And then eventually um, they see that you're serious about it. Because I think a lot of publicists get emails that pretend they're serious, but they're not really because people email 10 people the same way. Um, uh, but, you know, you keep persisting and eventually you get this magic email um, that says yes. And then it's all really tricky because... I'm in Paris and and all of their team is in California, so you have this little window of like 90 minutes when both <laughs> cities are awake. Yeah. And so the conversation moves forward in these tiny little increments, like maybe you agree that it could be this day or that day, but, you know, and, and you're probably talking to them via several layers of, of, of different people. So the publicist talks to the manager or talks to the PA, who eventually talks to the actual celebrity. So it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's a crazy operation essentially to create this sort of hopefully uh, timeless conversation that, that people can read, you know, not just when the magazine's on the shelves, but for years to come. Okay, so then what about the other side of this? Because I began by assuming that, so you've got a, a philosopher who's been dead for 2,000 plus years, so surely it's pretty easy to get some people to write some stuff about that. Well, I mean, for this issue, actually, we've put him on the cover, literally, because the magazine is two halves, and we have two covers. So the cover cover, the one that you see in the shop, is Owen Wilson. But then if you put your thumb and you find the staple, you open it again, you see a kind of a similar design and a, a second cover in the middle of the magazine um, um, for, for part two for the book of the season, which we've called the Stoic Reader this time. And we've got an actual statue of uh, Marcus Aurelius um, uh, as if he's the cover star, obviously, that was easier to get than, um, <laughs> yeah, than exactly, and, yeah. and, and, and don't tell anyone, but we just used a stock image. We didn't actually send a celebrity photographer to go and photograph him in, in, in Rome or anything. Uh, but, you know, I like to do that really well. And, and, and actually that comes with its own uh, uh, pressures and its own sort of challenges. And, and part of it is making a section that really works well. And it's a kind of jigsaw and it's not like we run seven articles that are kind of different people saying how much they love the book or why they like the book or the first time they read the book, um, although that can be part of it. It's also, when I read the book, I think, well, you know, um, if this book was to come to life and become the guest editor of a magazine, what kind of stuff would it commission? And uh, uh, so, so we run features that maybe if you've never read the book, you might think, well, why is that in there? Uh, but actually there is a very good reason for it. And, 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 and so you kind of sense that there's this presence behind them all. I think, I think my desire and wish is that even if you've never read the book of the season, much like people enjoy book clubs, even if they haven't read the book, then you can just have a nice time reading the magazine. But if you have read the book of the season, then it enhances the experience in a certain intangible way that really makes a difference. Uh, for example, in this issue, um, perhaps the most tangential feature is this one which you can't see but I've opened it on, on the table here it's headline is The Truth About Bees uh, it's by uh, a Canadian writer called Harriet Alida Lai and it's an interview with a bee scientist called Gro Amdam about bee democracy bee dance floors um, the ways that bees make decisions whether they have a kind of personality as in individual bees or not um, why is that an issue about Marcus Aurelius? Because the man was obsessed with bees. And when you read the meditations, which are kind of this series of individual entries, which are maybe between one and 20 sentences long, um, he mentions bees a lot. He sees them as ideal agents of nature. He sees them as 
um, uh, selfless uh, in the best possible way. He has this quote, what does not benefit the hive does not benefit the bee either. So you can see it's a kind of perfect metaphor for the kind of stoic dream of people um, sort of not being frustrated with their place in the universe um, and, 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 and doing what they do for the greater good. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to actually have a conversation with a scientist who really does know what's going on with bees in their hives and, and, and find out, is, was he right? Was he wrong? You know, was it just him, this, this guy who doesn't know about modern science, you know, coming up with sort of really strange uh, speculative uh, ideas, or, or is there something to it? And it turns out there is. But beyond that, there's all this crazy stuff about bees and how they work that I'd never realised was true before. And so is, is this you as editor saying, OK, in this issue, we're going to get into bees because this is a really interesting facet of it? Or is it more that you have like your list of trusted contributors and you say, well, this is the book. What should we be talking about? I mean, in this case, it was literally I was sitting there reading the book and I thought I want a bee piece. Right. And then um, I remember that Harriet Alida Lai, um, who I used to know a bit, in, she used to live in Paris. Uh, I remember she wrote a book called The, um, the Honey Farm. Uh, and it involved a lot of bee research. Um, so I thought, well, she'll be the perfect person to do this. And I found this Arizona-based Norwegian bee scientist, and, 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 and off we went. Uh, and it's a beautiful article. You know, um, Tom Etherington, who's the designer, does some amazing things with it all. And in fact, with this section as a whole, I should say, uh, the beautiful thing about Marcus Aurelius' meditations is that the text itself, it's these little bite-sized entries. They're all numbered. Um, it's why a lot of people wake up at nine in the well, they wake up at nine in the well, they, at nine in the morning every day. They might read one meditation and think about it for ten minutes or something. Uh, and also, it means that for the first time, we can really make use of that source text as a kind of as part of the design of the magazine. So, what you find in this issue is that Marcus Aurelius's words themselves appear very regularly, uh, and we've decided that every time they appear they appear in a different colour to the rest of the text. It's almost as if his ancient voice is, is kind of rippling through the magazine and it, to the point where it has to look different. Um, so some of the articles, they are uh, uh, whole responses to one meditation. For example, the novelist um, Deborah Levy, uh, just a wonderful, um, uh, powerful writer. She, she kind of uh, contributed what you could call a piece of experimental fiction based on an entry um, about seeing things as they really are a kind of road trip with Marcus, if you like. And then Jeff Dyer, another wonderful writer, um, uh, wrote this kind of memoirish piece about a holiday he took in Italy in the 90s with a girlfriend uh, and encountering the Marcus Aurelius statue. But more than that, he kind of uses this as a platform to excavate the nature of memory. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, there's a slight melancholy to it, but also it's, it's very compelling to read it. It's very funny. Um, on the self-help theme, because I really wanted to look at this a bit more. I mean, there's, there's a whole world of this stoicism um, uh, uh, repurposed and repackaged as self-help. Um, and um, there's a guy called Massimo Pigliucci, who's, uh, he's a philosopher, but also he runs um, an event called Stoicon, which happens <laughs> every year. I think it's every year. Uh, and I got him, because he, he's just releasing a, a book, and I, I got him to write um, three practical exercises uh, for the budding Stoic. Um, so he takes three of Marcus Aurelius's meditations and he sort of, well, what does that mean in practice? What does that mean in real terms? And, and it turns out, you know, because he, he's literally, a, he, he lives life um, as a Stoic and 
uh, but he uses kind of modern methods like there's one that he describes that I can't forget which is you have some kind of uh, anxiety or difficulty in your mind that won't let you go and he uh, he says he, he brings it into his mind's eye and then swipes left like it's on his <laughs> phone uh, yeah so there's, there's a bunch of stuff like that so, so it's kind of, hopefully it's a kind of a real feast of of, uh, of, of philosophical material uh, and hopefully it's a lot of fun to read I think a big part of the um, of the appeal of the happy reader is the simplicity of the thing so you, you've talked a little bit about the design already there's obviously the two part structure there's also the lovely like marginalia and kind of footnotes where you'll pick out individual things which I guess comes from the fantastic man sort of family all, all of this works beautifully together in this like very sort of effortless way but obviously it's not effortless which is the one that you feel like you really hit it and the alchemy just it it just happened which is the one where it really worked in terms of which issue well oh yeah that's a good question i mean all of them i uh, i have a soft spot for um none i don't hate any of the issues but uh and uh ones that i linger over a lot um issue seven somehow uh, that was with the curator Hans Ulrich Obrist and Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. And it was, I don't know, something about that issue was um, just just really came together so beautifully. And, and, and it had a crossword in it about, you know, but, but not any kind of crossword, a crossword where you had to go physically to the places where Virginia Woolf's book took place <laughs> in, in order to find the solutions to the the puzzle um, and it had some amazing writing in it um, by everyone from like Michael Cunningham um, through to Jean uh, Hannah Edelstein um, an amazing piece in there so that one I don't know and visually it was just so 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 nice uh, and then also issue five with Grimes on the cover um, and uh, that was with Emile Zola Obono de Dame which is about the birth of the Parisian department store and perhaps because I live in Paris um, it was kind of infused with this atmosphere of Paris but also it was a kind of shopping special as well uh, so it was slightly Christmassy as well we had like a nice white and gold cover um, but we never overtly said that but you know it, it was the winter issue in 2015 so um, that was the kind of subtext uh, and then this issue actually um, and I'm not just saying that to, <laughs> yeah, to yeah. boost sales yeah. but I have been gazing at it lovingly because I think it's really come together so nicely and so well um, the cover is just brilliant it's kind of uh, it's almost like, you know, a sort of a classic Vanity Fair cover or something in a way that perhaps we don't, we haven't normally done, you know, something, there's something kind of quasi-commercial about it, which I think is really fun. Uh, and yeah, I, I, everything about it just, just, just kind of clicks for me. So, so okay, so the, those are some of your favourites. This is a, a project in partnership with Penguin. Do they have a way of measuring the, the success of this thing? Uh, I think it does very well. I mean, they all sell out. So, I mean, yeah. And in, in a case, once you've sold out, you can't go any further. So it's hard to say one's done better than others. Uh, I know that that Hans Recobrus one did really well. Um, I mean, w- we can sort of tell, and they can sort of tell by the kinds of, uh, uh, the quantity of emails we get kind of begging for back issues or people, <laughs> you know, sort of like craving, them. how can I get, how can I get issue issue five which was Ethan Hawke that one is really sought after I've no idea how these algorithms work but you see it online for like 300 pounds sometimes mm-hmm. or sometimes it's then it's like 40 the next day so I don't know how how many people actually buy it for that but 
certainly, anecdotally, I hear a lot of people uh, uh, who want that complete set are desperate to find that one. And so the, this is a, a long-running project now. When did it start? Well, we're coming up for five years now. So it started in 2014. It's pretty much five years since I started thinking about that first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the winter issue coming up um, will actually be the five-year anniversary. And so how has it changed in that time? Because that, mm. f- for, as an outsider, looking at it now, it looks remarkably similar to when it started back then. But as the editor, how does that look? How can you say that? It's, <laughs> it's so utterly transformed. No, I, 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 that's the thing. I mean, the, 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 the structure of The Happy Reader is so beautiful. And I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. That was something that... Um, fantastic man's uh, um, directors, uh, Jop van Benekum and, and uh, Jonkers, uh, devised with Helios, um, the, the designer from there. But, but um, I think it has changed a lot because I think we're constantly, when you have a simple structure, you have this kind of constraint, you're constantly sort of throwing yourself against the walls of that and trying to break it and trying to do new things with it. So, uh, and, and it feels like no matter what you do, because it's got these two halves, uh, it always somehow feels very similar. So you can get away with changing it quite radically uh, and people don't freak out. It's not like, you know, I mean, we haven't had our sort of Bob Dylan plugging in the guitar moment yet, but I'd love to have that sometime. I mean, for me, it's changed, like, to, to be more kind of, to be less abstract and more uh, uh, kind of specific about things. The cover has got thicker cover stock, so it feels more hefty now. Within part two, I think every issue, while existing in that kind of hermetically sealed context of this is a section about a book, we try and reinvent it completely every single time as well. The colours change, the atmosphere changes. We sort of invent new running threads and running jokes and running ideas that go through it. Um, So, I mean, a good example of that was the last issue uh, about Frankenstein, where... Um, every single image, every single article, every single response to the book was a different monster um, in the sense of uh, a different thing that Frank, Frankenstein's monster could be a metaphor for, if you see what I mean. So Tamagotchi or uh, artificial intelligence or even uh, a parent's baby. So, So it was a kind of... It was a way of exploring the book, but in a completely different thing. I think we'd never done anything like that. And every headline was numbered. Uh, so you can have a lot of fun. Uh, and I th- I'm really fascinated with the notion that once you say something as a theme or say something as the center of gravity, then you can almost do something that has no obvious link to it. <laughs> but just because the reader knows that that's the case, then they have to find the connection. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah, really yeah. interested in that, you know, like just having something so out there, uh, uh, I mean, without making it all into some sort of experiment in, in, in these kinds of things, but just have one or two pieces that really do push yeah. what's possible. Well, and, and that is also literary in itself, the, the, mm. the idea of giving someone enough guidelines, but then they kind of have to join dots themselves. Yeah, you have to have some ambiguity there. I think you can't spoon-feed people, and I think that's where it all comes in. I mean, if it seems simple, there's a lot of energy that goes into making it feel that way. And, and, and it is quite complicated. Like some of those three sentence marginalia sort of footnotes take hours to oh, research. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous amounts of time. There's one in the new issue. It's about uh, 
cruise ships, like Owen Wilson mentions uh, mentions the Panama Canal in passing, and it got into my head that we had to have a list of uh, cruise ships that are passing through the Panama Canal during the lifespan of the issue. Uh, so <laughs> we spent ages looking into this just to find like four names because I'm quite obsessed with cruise ships names and they're called things like Celebrity Infinity and stuff like that. Uh, uh, so stuff like that, I don't know. It's like that classic metaphor about a duck that looks very serene but there's lots of paddling going on underneath the water. Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're, you're throwing yourself uh, against the walls of this thing. You're trying to break it. What would you love to do with this? that you haven't quite managed yet? I don't know. I think every issue is me trying to do that. Um, and I can't think of a specific thing. I, th- I, think, I think I'm always striving to become as much part of the conversation as possible. I'd love to have an issue that everyone's talking about for some reason, um, uh, whether that's just the, you know, the sheer amazingness of it or it's because um, a piece just kind of breaks out in that way and, and, and everybody, you know, the thing about the Happy Road is it's kind of it's a print entity. I'd love it to make the leap into a digital conversation somehow, in some way, um, not because of some inherent property of the digital, but because that would show that the magazine has kind of sort of transcended that uh, um, that sense of being contained within the analog world somehow. I would love uh, um, for the book of the season to just kind of be out there. Uh, I'd love to, you know, feel like when the book of the season is announced, then you really sense that everybody's out there reading it somehow. I think, you know, we're getting there. Sometimes you do, within the kind of literary blogosphere, you see a lot of people saying, oh, this was the Happy Readers book of the season. I would love to be on a bus someday and see somebody with, with the Happy Reader and the relevant book. Perfect. Okay, well, um, thank you so much for coming over and I can't wait to dive into this one. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, that's all for this week. It is somehow reassuring to know that Seb sees himself and his magazine as like a duck paddling away furiously below the water. And I hope this has made you want to go out and pick up a copy of the latest issue. As well as being brilliantly fun and cool, The Happy Reader is also ridiculously good value for money. So go to thehappyreader.com where you can buy a copy of the latest issue for just £4 or subscribe for a year for £16, which is a total bargain. We release a new episode of this podcast every Friday, so if you want to hear more like this, just search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and follow us there and we'll be able to deliver next week's episode to you as soon as it's ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.